0: When I launched SSR back in June 2018, I was hoping to have the kinds of conversations about books that would really challenge me. I wanted to return to a title from my childhood that I had absolutely loved, mostly still love it while I was reading it again, and then, with a little help from a guest who may be less emotionally attached than I am to that book, find myself wondering, do I actually love this? That, my friends, was pretty much the experience I had with this episode, in which we discussed Jerry Spinelli's 2000 YA novel, Stargirl. If you're also a big fan of Stargirl, and thanks to social media, I know there are plenty of you out there, don't let this intro discourage you from listening. I promise I'm not going to ruin the book for you. What I am going to do over the course of this episode is demonstrate that you can still have a magical rereading experience that makes you feel some nostalgic warm fuzzies, while also realizing that parts of an old favorite are kind of problematic when viewed through an adult lens. This was a hard lesson for me to learn where Stargirl is concerned, but the discussion you're about to tune into is much better for it. In case Stargirl wasn't a staple of your teen or preteen reading, here's a brief summary. The book is told from the perspective of Leo, a 16-year-old who attends high school in Arizona. His life seems to revolve around hanging out with his best pal Kevin and working on the school's TV program, Hot Seat. Everything changes for the whole student body when a new student, who calls herself Stargirl, transfers in after years of being homeschooled. Stargirl is unlike anyone that the kids have met before. You'll hear a lot more about that throughout the episode. And Leo is immediately drawn to her. The rest of the book follows the ups and downs of Stargirl and Leo's relationship, which takes many forms as Stargirl struggles to be accepted at school. We watch as she is first rejected by her classmates, then joins a cheerleading squad, then is alienated by her classmates when she cheers for the other team during an important basketball game, then loses all of her personal special sauce to try to become like everyone else, then joins a speech competition, and then finally says screw it and goes back to being herself. Oh, and the writing? The writing in Stargirl is good. Like really good. In this episode, you'll hear us talk about tricky concepts like popularity, acceptance, coolness, conformity, and what's quote-unquote normal. Taylor Swift and Hillary Clinton are mentioned. Yes, we talk about first love. Oh, and you'll hear some details of my own life as a member of the high school morning news show team. Today's guest is Britta Locking, a New York-based journalist. She's written for the New York Times, Vulture, The Village Voice, RIP, The Baffler, and more. Britta and I have known each other for years and have spent much of that time talking books, so I'm thrilled to have her on the show for episode 25. This episode is especially close to my heart, and I hope you enjoy it. If you do, please share a screenshot on your Insta story, tagging at SSRPod. You can also follow us on Twitter at SSRPod or on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. As always, I really appreciate your support as we continue to spread the word about the podcast. Now let's go to the show. freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Britta. Thank you so much for joining us on SSR.
1: Thanks, Allie. Thanks for having me.
0: We have known each other for a really long time, and it's fun to be able to do something like work-related with you to actually collaborate on something.
1: I know it is. And we kind of went freelance at the same time. So it's fun to be able to do something with that together.
0: Yeah. And we, I've known for a long time that you're a book lover and we've swapped a few books. So it's nice to have sort of like an official venue for our book talk.
1: Yeah. I actually think I still have um, your copy of Purity.
0: So shout out to Jonathan Franzen, my favorite (laughs) author ever. And I am happy that you chose one of like literally one of my favorite books Of all time, I don't think I even told you that it was one of my favorite books of all time. It was one of the choices I sent you, and I literally did a happy dance when you chose it. It's Stargirl by Jerry Spinelli, and I'm dying to know, did you read this when you were a kid, or is this new for you? What's your history with this book?
1: Um, so this is new for me. It's funny, when you sent me the list, um, I didn't recognize the title of it. And then I went to search it, and I recognized the cover of the book, which it doesn't say Stargirl on the cover. But I, rec- I remember it from having it in my room, but I actually don't remember reading it, or I just don't remember the story. So I kind of came into this, like, fresh and new and not really having a history with it.
0: I think this was one that I reread a few times as a kid. And I was not a huge rereader when I was younger. Obviously, I am now with the podcast. But the book came out in 2000. I'm pretty sure I read it within a year or two after that. So I would have been 11 or 12-ish. And I'm fairly positive I read it again in high school, which having revisited it now I realize is like the time to come back to it and read it again. I'm so glad that I did, but sadly I couldn't find my old copy, which would have been really fun to have. So I went out and bought a new one and now I have like highlighted that one up and ruined yet another copy of the book or loved it hard I'll say I've loved it hard but it was just as great this time around and I can't wait to hear what you think so those first few pages like did it meet any expectations that you had about this book like did you know anything about it going into it
1: I didn't I actually it's funny I thought it was going to be told from her perspective from Stargirl's perspective just because of The title, I guess, and the cover is, you know, a stick drawing of who I assume is her. So the first thing that surprised me was that it's from Leo's perspective, which I don't know how I totally feel about
0: that. Yeah let's Um, talk about that because I had a note about that as well. I think what's interesting this is a male author, Jerry Spinelli Yeah. the title is clearly female targeted. The cover is very you know if we're going to go like super gender stereotypical, heteronormative all that stuff. It's definitely a cover that I think speaks to young girls more than young boys. It's really about a girl's story and it's super interesting that it's told from the perspective of a boy named Leo who's a junior you're in high school. To this point, I don't know that I'd ever read a book other than maybe like Hatchet or Brian's song that was told from a boy's perspective. And I agree with you that it's really interesting. Like, I wonder why he made that choice.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I think, I don't know. On one hand, I think it makes sense because like you said, he is a male author. So telling it from his perspective, like, you know, it's, it's about many things, but it's also about young love. Um, so it makes sense if, you know, he had experienced something similar and using that as a way to talk about these things from a a male perspective, but it is her story. But I also do think in many ways it's Leo's story and it's a lot about his own struggle and transformation and growing up, but because it's, everything is focused on her and kind of put on her. It almost seems it seems like it should be her story, but it's almost not. I think one of the things that really bothered me about that was that there's so much emphasis on the way she looks, not just Stargirl, but also Hillary, who is uh, another student at the school, kind of the stereotypical popular girl. And I think that there's just so much emphasis on like the female body and stereotypes of what a woman should be that that was problematic for me um, and, and bothered me.
0: Yeah, Stargirl is very much not the norm. And something else I think we can talk about is, is generally the use of the word normal. And I put that in quotes because I think that is a hard word to use now and one that we're really not encouraged to use, certainly not with respect to children, because I think it's become very problematic when kids think that one thing is normal as a human and other things are therefore abnormal or wrong. So I think you're right in that, especially in comparison to somebody like Hillary, who as you say is like the queen bee, the cheerleader, the cool girl who's dating, the cool boy who seems like sort of this hilarious underachiever Wayne. With respect to Hillary, Stargirl is not the norm and there's so much description about the way she looks And ultimately, when she does decide to like change her style to fit in with the rest of the high school population, so much of it is about her clothes and her hair and like the way that she presents herself, which reads to me so much like Sandy from the movie Grease, which is problematic in a similar way.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I don't think it's bad to use descriptors to describe people. I think that's how you build character. But we don't hear anything really about the men or the boys in the story. I mean, I don't know what leo looks like even from just other people you know i know it's from his perspective but and wayne like what you're talking about we don't really know anything about him but we know like there's this one passage about hillary that says when she tried out for the cheerleading team it says her face and hair and figure were right enough and she surely had the mouth she made the squad easily which (laughs) is just yeah, it's, yes. very, it's very cringeworthy, but we don't really hear anything about Wayne who's introduced in the next paragraph. And just those descriptors of Hillary are very gross to me <laughs> and and like weirdly sexual. So I don't know. It was just kind of it grossed me out.
0: That is icky, and I think especially, like, the one thing I will say I felt about the way Stargirl was described is, first of all, Jerry Smelly's writing is insanely beautiful in this book. Like I said, my copy is now fully highlighted because I just could not stop like, pulling out passages that I just thought were so gorgeous. And I appreciated that in those descriptions about Stargirl, I didn't find that she um, was—she wasn't really, like, over-sexualized. Like, Stargirl certainly was described physically, but it didn't feel sexual or creepy, maybe in the same way that those descriptions about Hillary come off. And I think some of that is, like, she is the manic pixie dream girl, like, pure— opposite of somebody like Hillary. So I thought that that was interesting. But you're right. Like, we don't know much about Leo. And I found myself wondering from very early in the book, and I wonder what you think about this, like, is Leo cool? Like, where does he exist in all of these high school strata because that's such a focus of this book and it's not something that we talk about really as adults and again popularity is such a problematic construct but i found myself wondering over and over again like where do leo and his best friend kevin fit into all of this because we really don't know much about either of them
1: yeah i agree with you i was curious about that too um or wondering about it because they're the host of this TV show, which seems to be popular, and they bring in the jury, um, but it also is the concept of the show, they put people in the hot seat, and the point is that... Right, the jury asks the person in the hot seat any question and and they're supposed to answer. And it's kind of a very cruel, mean concept, which when Stargirl goes on, we see how it goes awry. So I don't really know where they fit in, but they seem to be, you know, there's again, these stereotypes that popular people are cruel or mean. And so I think that it's almost they use that as a way to become popular mm-hmm. and and to make a place for themselves within the high school construct um, and the popularity construct. So I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts about it?
0: Well, I sort of have a personal experience in that I was a member of like the news team at my high school's morning show. And we were not super cool. Like we definitely were each part of other groups. I went to a really big high school. So there were like 800 kids in our class. And this team of people that worked on ETV, which is what we called it, we were all involved in things outside of the news, the news show. I don't know what we called it. Not the news show. The announcements. I don't know what it was. But we were all doing our own thing. Like a lot of the kids were involved in theater. And I was super into the newspaper. And there were kids that were more into like the tech side of things. So people that were running the cameras and stuff. So everybody sort of had their place and had found their people. But we came together and it was kind of this like mishmash of funny personalities and like big personalities because a lot of these people were theater kids and and really like there to be on-air talent. But we weren't particularly cool. Like, we were all very comfortable with ourselves, is what I would say, because we each had our own, like, niche within the high school, like, political structure. I think that being part of something like that does give you a little bit of social capital because you get sort of, like, a pass to go, like, cover events. Like, we used to be able to go sit in the front row of different school events and we had, like these hilarious press passes to go to to like finals for sports teams and stuff. And in a similar way, I think Kevin and Leo, like you said, like they're using the show as a way to boost themselves up a little bit. It's their social capital. It gives them a reason to talk to other kids at school because they want to bring them onto the news show. I don't know that they're naturally quote unquote cool. I picture them as being like a little nerdy, definitely well liked, but not wildly popular in the way that we think of like stereotypical cool kids in high school. But it's interesting because for most of the book, really until the end, like Leo is very nice and there's something very sweet about him and he is definitely a romantic. Like I find that he has this very idealistic view of the people around him and he definitely has a gut feeling that there's something special about Stargirl beyond what others see, which, you know, I think a lot of people at the beginning thinks she's sort of like a spectacle. They're nice to her because she's an interesting, like, sideshow almost. But I think he always has a gut feeling that there's more to her, and that takes a special kind of person. I think that that takes somebody who exists almost outside of the realm of, like, typical high school structures. I don't know what that says about his popularity, but I think he definitely is somewhere in the middle like he and kevin fall between the cracks except that they have hot seat and that gives them something to do
1: i completely agree especially what you just said about them falling uh, through the cracks i think that they almost seem like they are just kind of floating between groups and they don't exactly have a place except for hot seat um which i think gives them uh, an identity and it doesn't really seem like beyond that they have one and it is interesting i mean in the context of when this book was written i think that, like what you're saying, media extracurriculars um, or certain extracurriculars are typically not considered to be cool. I mean, I was on the mock trial team, which was very uncool, but I thought it was great. But, you know, all my other friends were on the dance team or cheerleaders and we had a constitution team and a mock trial team, which were, you know, as far as high school goes, not like popular um, extracurriculars. But, I think that that's changing now. I mean, especially what you're seeing with like the Parkland students and the way in which high schoolers have become young activists. So I think a lot of those stereotypes are falling away. Um, And I'd be curious to see how that's playing out in uh, young adult fiction today. But I think that this book in many ways, uh, it's very stereotypical and doesn't really break these boundaries of what high schoolers should be or tend to be or typically are. And um, I wish it had done that more. You know, I wish it had kind of broken the barrier a little bit. And I think that the narrative just
0: felt very cliche in a way. I agree. I think that it creates this sort of baseline where Jerry Spinelli can then sort of like play with these constructs of popularity and coolness and being well liked and conformity. And I think what I realized in reading this book is, like, those four things are all very—like, popularity and coolness are not the same thing. Popularity and being well-liked are not—like, these are four individual concepts. And I remember in high school feeling like some of the popular kids maybe weren't cool, and some of the cool kids weren't popular. And then there's a difference between those kids who were well-liked. And I think it's interesting to reflect on that now in a book that is so cliche, but having survived that stage of your life, being able to see more clearly. Like, Stargirl might not be cool, but kids do do like her. She's well-liked for a portion of the book. She's popular for a portion of the book. Understanding that these things can exist separately. And I think that those kinds of questions wouldn't have been able to, like, start to take shape without this sort of, like, very cliche baseline, but that's hard to read because like we want to see, I think, especially now in 2018, like we want to see some variation. We don't want kids to feel like they're reading a book that sets up this kind of like typical tacky situation for themselves. Like we want kids to be able to aspire for more and and the way that the social scene is set up at this high school in this particular book does not do that effectively.
1: Yeah, I agree. I wish there was just a little more diversity and veering away from that construct of you know
0: this kind of cliche high school situation well speaking of not cliche Mm -hmm. let's talk about star girl the namesake of this book, she is so cool. I'm going to start by reading Leo's first impression of her, which was one of the many passages, like I said, that I just thought was so beautiful in terms of like character description. And I, I honestly was thinking, like, now as an adult, most of the novels that I gravitate toward, as you know, Britta from our book talk, they're all like super character driven. Like I could read a book that's a thousand pages long with little to no action assuming that there's awesome character description and like cool relationship dynamics. And I feel like a book like this might have been the origin of all of that. So with that being said, here is Leo's first impression of Stargirl. And then I saw her at lunch. She wore an off-white dress so long it covered her shoes. It had ruffles around the neck and cuffs that looked like it could have been her great-grandmother's wedding gown. Her hair was the color of sand. It fell to her shoulders. Something was strapped across her back, but it wasn't a book bag. At first, I thought it was a miniature guitar. I found out later it was a ukulele. She did not carry a lunch tray. She did carry a large canvas bag with a life-size sunflower painted on it. The lunchroom was dead silent as she walked by. She stopped at an empty table, laid down her bag, slung the instrument strap over her chair, and sat down. And again, as we were talking about earlier on, so much of this is about the way she looks and her appearance, but I did love some of the details where like she doesn't carry a lunch tray. And as a kid, that's something that you notice. Like you pay attention to who stands in the lunch line, who's waiting to get a sandwich versus who's just going to get like a stack of cookies to eat for lunch. Um, You pay attention to things like, oh, she's not wearing a backpack like everybody else. She's carrying a tote bag, which... I think in 2000, like, most kids probably carried backpacks. So I do love the way that Jerry Spinelli plays with these little details that Leo notices and sort of, like, sets up his expectations of the kind of person that she is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think from the get-go, I mean, it's hard because it changes later in the book based on her popularity, how her popularity ebbs and flows, but it seems initially that he likes the way she looks, and he's attracted to her, which, like we were saying before, there's this purity to her. She's wearing this high necked dress that goes to the floor that looks like a grandmother's wedding dress. (laughs) So there's something also almost matronly about her. Yeah, she's like kind of
0: a bohemian, but also like matronly, like she definitely toes that line.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think I actually wrote something about that. And, and it, you know, she sounds like a hippie, but in a way where she's still buttoned up, literally and he
0: seems to think that
1: although her personality is completely the opposite of that so
0: interesting yeah it's interesting because i think a lot of times in books and in pop culture when we meet a character that's previously been homeschooled which is star girl's backstory she's recently come into mainstream school after being homeschooled for i think her whole life oftentimes in pop culture like the homeschool kid has no social skills but in a way that they don't know how to interact with people they're very shy they're not really very open to like making friends I mean even mean girls Katie Heron like is so awkward around other kids that she ends up eating in the bathroom by herself and ultimately she figures it out but I think often we are taught to believe that homeschool kids just like don't really even have any confidence with their peers and It could be argued that Stargirl doesn't have quote-unquote typical social skills, but she has social skills. Like, she wants to meet other kids. She's very open. I mean, she's singing in the cafeteria in her first week of school. She's entering state speech competitions. She's very confident. And I think that was interesting because, at least for me, it, like, turns some of the stereotypes that I've read about kids who have gone through the homeschool process upside down.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there's an emphasis in this book about the way a woman should behave. Mm. I mean, or I guess a girl. They're teenagers mm. in this book. But it reminds me a little bit of Hillary Clinton and also Taylor Swift and the way that it's almost like they can do no right. And mm. I kind of felt like that with Stargirl, too. She's is who she is, and then she tries to change, and she's ridiculed either way. So I think there was this emphasis on the way a woman should be. And I think that to your point of homeschooling, I think that weaves its way in a little bit, again, in a stereotypical way that people who are homeschooled are, you know, awkward and outside the norm and not social. And that's the way that they are and have been. Um, I just think there's this emphasis on how a woman is supposed to act and no matter how she acts, she's going to be taken down for it.
0: I love your comparisons to Hillary and Taylor. Those are so great. Stargirl, you're up there with the best of them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I actually think that was to Jerry uh, Spinelli's credit. I mean, this book was written 18 years ago or published 18 years ago. And so I think that that's like a really relevant issue that's still plaguing women
0: today. And I think that part of it, the fact that it's told from a, a boy, a man's perspective, is sort of interesting because if it were told from her perspective, we might hear more about like her frustrations, about feeling like she can do no right it would be a little bit more her emotional experience and and we would maybe hear a bit more explicitly from her viewpoint, like, no matter what I do, I'm wrong. If I'm myself, people make fun of me. If I try to change, it's still not enough. But because we're hearing about the whole process, like her whole transformation from somebody else's perspective, particularly Leo, who's a guy, you don't get those sort of like explicit explanations of what's actually going on. We understand that Leo is observing that clearly she can't win, but I think it leaves a little bit more for you as a reader to figure out and to like draw those conclusions on your own. And I think that's a stretch for kids, but I think a kid who can figure that out, that's like a very mature and important lesson to learn, especially for young girls.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about uh, when I was reading this, if I would have read it the same way when I was um, an adolescent versus a 28-year-old. And I don't know if I would have picked up on the things that we're talking about, but I hope that readers today would pick up on these things.
0: Yeah, having read it as a teen, I don't think I picked up on a lot of it. I think I picked up on star girl just being so cool and like being inspired by her. I loved the way that she presented herself. I loved the idea of not being afraid to walk through the hallways of your school, wearing what you wanted and saying what you wanted. I was a much more reserved person than Stargirl. I think, like, inherently, I'm never going to be somebody that does the things that she does, but I still really admired her for letting, like, letting it all out and being who she was, and I think in high school, it's so easy to hold back certain parts of yourself, whether it's something extreme, like, like, Stargirl's really, like, vivacious quirky personality or something smaller like your interest in like wanting to do a sport even though none of your friends do like to some extent I think in high school everybody holds back and so I definitely picked up on that part of it as a teen I don't know that I really internalized how fucked up it is for star girl to like never be able to to get it right. You picture it more as like a movie, like these highs and lows for her. And then at the end, you're like, oh, it's still fine. She has this great moment at the dance and everybody wins. But the truth is, as you're saying, the real story is that like, no matter what she does, people make fun of her and she is never going to fit in the way that she wants to. And that I don't think I fully picked up on as a kid.
1: I do think there's something very empowering about Stargirl and inspiring, like what you're saying. And that someone can be, you know, quote, unquote, an outsider. I mean, she is an outsider, too, literally, because she comes in from, like we were talking about before, being homeschooled. And she's new and different and a little weird (laughs) Uh, from Leo's perspective. And I guess from the whole school's perspective, because he's also kind of reporting on what's happening with other students. He's almost kind of this odd reporter character who's telling us, you know, this is what's happening as if it's kind of a baseline for how we should be thinking about Stargirl. (laughs) Um, But I do think that she is really empowering in a way. But, you know, of course, in that scene, she ends up, Leo says to her basically no one likes you and you can't be who you are so you have to change and she comes back as this quote normal teenager and again in the description there's this whole emphasis about the way she looks physically her toenails are painted and um, he doesn't even recognize her which seems a little exaggerated to me but you know, when that moment happened, I was thinking to myself, ah, like, no, like, don't change. And especially just because your boyfriend tells you to. And that was just a really difficult uh, moment to read. And I I don't think it's wrong. You know, I think that a lot of times as a woman, you are still really affected by things that men say to you and boyfriends and people that that you love. And I think that it's human nature to want to be liked. So I understand, like, where she was coming from, but I just wish she hadn't, you know, I wish she had been stronger in that
0: moment. The line from that scene that really killed me was, nothing goofy, nothing different that I could see. She looked magnificently, wonderfully, gloriously ordinary. Stargirl had vanished into a sea of them, and I was thrilled. Ugh.
1: Yeah, I know. It's so gross. And Leo's reaction to to that is just so disgusting I mean you were we were talking a
0: little bit about before he's this quote nice boy yeah most of the time and then he takes this like weird ego turn right and then
1: it's like well wait is he a nice guy I'm not so sure about that
0: I think one of the things that makes it hard to understand Leo for me at least was we never meet his parents And I think in most YA and middle grade books, you get a sense of where somebody comes from. Like it's very rare that teen characters exist like fully outside of their families. Usually there is a little bit more adult interaction. And in this book, we get Archie, who is sort of like Leo's mentor. He's like this older paleontologist who um, Leo and his friends hang out with. And we find out later Stargirl knows him too. But we don't know like... We don't have any scenes with his parents where we know, you know, this is such a cliche thing to say, but like, we don't know how he talks to his mom. Like, we don't know if he has siblings that he's kind to or if he is a bully to his younger sister or his younger brother. So I think he really is like, a man into himself in some ways and so when he takes a turn in this way we're like oh shit like where did that even come from and we don't know if like is something happening at home that we don't know about like he just really is kind of in a vacuum and that makes it difficult to figure him out especially because he does make like such a quick shift in personality about two-thirds of the way through the book
1: yeah it seemed very almost out of character his reaction yeah um, But maybe it was perfectly in character, we just didn't see it as readers before. And I think that, you know, there's been kind of conversations about this in the Me Too era as well, like that line uh, between, you know, someone can come off as an ally to women, then underneath they're very manipulative and cruel. And we've seen that, I think, in the Me Too era. and. That reminded me of Leo's character a lot, how he on the surface seems to be this very welcoming, quote, nice boy, but he's still susceptible to what other people think. And because of that, he ends up being uh, manipulative and very mean to his girlfriend and wants her to be someone that she isn't. Um, And I don't think that that's being a nice person.
0: <laughs> it's so. certainly not. It's almost like he went into this relationship with Stargirl with his sort of like childlike ideals. He liked her. He felt like she was interesting and smart. I think one of the cool things about their relationship was that their dynamic, their interplay was so much more emotional and mental than it was physical. Like It wasn't sexual in any way. I think we only read about one or two kisses. So I do feel like they were having this like very intense mental and emotional connection and I appreciated that. And it's almost like he went into this relationship with her thinking that that was enough and being excited about that and trusting that if he allowed himself to sort of like trust the universe and succumb to this relationship with her and enjoy himself, then everything else would fall into place. Like, Kevin would get on board. Everybody at school would start being more understanding about Stargirl. He was very idealistic, thinking that, like, he could somehow fix the situation for her, and in that process, it would all be okay for him, too. And unfortunately, instead of learning from her that, like, you might not be accepted, and that's okay. If you love somebody, you should still, like, continue to nurture that relationship and, like, learn from the person. He kind of does the opposite, and he realizes that, the world isn't that simple and other factors get in the way and he reacts to that in a way that he shouldn't have and is not nice so it's it's like he learns this very adult lesson in his relationship with her because I think like there's this whole scene where at first he's like we were it felt like it was just us it felt like nobody else mattered we existed in our own bubble and I think we've all been in relationships like that and in high school and college especially I remember those first few like days when you're dating somebody new and thinking like nobody else matters and it's a very adult thing to realize like no Life goes on outside of you, and you have to figure out how you're going to make it all work. And unfortunately, he doesn't learn from this experience. He does the easy thing and allows popularity and his ego to win out. And that's like a very hard thing to read about, but probably something that a lot of people fall victim to, especially in high school.
1: Yeah, he was just a very disappointing character, I thought. And it's interesting. He ends up, I mean, Stargirl disappears, which is an interesting plot plot twist or plot point in and of itself. But then he ends up single and, you know, without a family. And it seems, I don't know, it seems in a way very lonely. I don't know. What do you think?
0: I so did not buy his epilogue. I just yeah. didn't like it. So to skip to the end of the book, um, basically there's this like big dance scene. Leo and Stargirl have broken up. They don't go to the dance together, but Stargirl being the awesome badass teen that she is goes to dance alone actually with her friend and they show up in like a sidecar bike situation covered in sunflowers which is hilarious and side note they are making a movie they started filming in september so these are going to be like great cinematic moments is like star girl driving up in her like sunflower covered sidecar and leo doesn't go to the dance but he does sort of watch what's going on and star girl ends up leading this like huge bunny hop number with the entire student body, and they finally rally around her again, but after that, she disappears. And from there, we jump ahead 15 years, I believe, and it's sort of just Leo, like, reflecting on his life, reflecting on the fact that, in the end, Stargirl's, like, legacy sort of lived on at the school, which is weird to me because she wasn't there for very long, so I didn't really buy that part. That seemed like a stretch. But he's also talking about, like, sort of this idea of, like, she's the one who got away, and that's very sweet, and I do think that a lot of people have those feelings about somebody that, was part of their life in high school and you always wonder like what would have happened if we'd been able to make that work in a more adult way but I, I just didn't buy his like intense reflections of what had happened between the two of them. It didn't seem genuine to me with the way that their relationship had ended and like sure, I believe he could have undergone some serious personal growth but it, it just felt very like jarring the way that all of a sudden he was then reflecting on their time together. What did you think about that?
1: I agree. Um, it didn't feel he didn't feel like a a deep enough character to, I think, have that kind of reflection 15 years later, so he would be around 30, 31. I felt like he was a very kind of surface character and that he, I felt like she was much more, I think he was complicated in his own way, but I just felt like, you know, Jerry made her to be kind of a more complex person. And I think that, his reflection was almost a way to, you know, to try to correct himself for his behavior
0: 15 years
1: ago in a way. And I don't know if it worked. I don't think it did.
0: It's almost like he was a narrative device for the first 90% of the book. He's sort of like the point off of which Stargirl pivots. Like her whole transformation takes place based on his advice and his desires, honestly, which is messed up. And then all of a sudden, in the last 10% of the book, we're supposed to see him as this, like, deeper emotional person. And it was confusing because I didn't feel like I knew enough about him to feel anything about that. Like, I, I very much wanted to feel something for him. I wanted to, like, experience that kind of reflection with him because, like I said, like, I think everybody has those feelings about somebody that they knew in high school. But I just couldn't make the connection with him because he was sort of, like, transactional as a human for me, for most of the book. As much as I I liked him in those first, like, sections until he turned into a major mansplaining asshole, I liked him. He seemed nice. He seemed open. But he just—there wasn't much— to him other than like star girl to sort of, like turning around him, you know, he was like the the pivot point for her more than anything else.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, those scenes when they're first starting to date, when they go out to the mall and they go out to the desert and she's taking him mm-hmm. along with her kind of on her journey and she's teaching him things. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was really interesting that she is trying to open up his world and then his idea of opening up her world is to make her liked by everyone. And it's just, that's like the one kind of quote lesson or whatever he's trying to give her. And her lessons are about being mindful and about getting to know other people in a deeper and meaningful way. And again, he just seems very superficial. He comes off very superficial
0: to me. He doesn't bring that much to the table. It's interesting that she was attracted to him. And I wonder if it was just the fact that he was open to her. Like, she doesn't have that many options, really. Like, at the beginning of the book, everybody's being nice to her because I think they're just intrigued by her and they all turn on her over, like, a stupid situation with the basketball team, which is hilarious in and of itself. But I wonder if her attraction to him is primarily because, like, he was there and he was open to her. Clearly, Leo is not the kind of person that Stargirl should be with. And I think we learn that pretty quickly in their relationship, even when he's still quote unquote being a nice guy. I think it's apparent fairly early on that like he's not nearly deep enough for her. She needs somebody who's a little bit more complex, a little bit more open, a little bit more adventurous, a little bit more, I think mindful is a good word, considerate. Like she has all these amazing qualities that drive her to do things for others without expecting anything in return. And that's just not the place where Leo is coming from.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just think he's kind of an asshole. (laughs) And yeah, I question that too. I was, you know, wondering, and it's hard because we're not, you know, the book is told from his perspective, so we're not really privy to her thoughts, but... I was wondering why does she like him? And she approached him initially in the cafeteria.
0: Well, and she had sent him, four years prior, she had sent him the tie. So the kind of like backstory, the setup for this whole book is that Leo decides that he's going to start collecting neckties with porcupines on them, and there's an article that runs about it in the local paper. And he receives in the mail a new porcupine necktie. And this is obviously like not something that you can come by easily. So it's like a very mysterious thing that he's received. And we learn throughout our journey of like getting to know Stargirl that she learns about people and what they're doing and what they need and sort of what their struggles are by reading the parts of the paper that nobody else reads. So she reads the birthday announcements, the obituaries, the announcements about like when people are selling things because then she finds maybe that's a reason that they need help, like maybe something bad is going on in their life that they're selling all all of their stuff. So she read in the paper that Leo had started collecting the neckties and so she years earlier had sent him a necktie that her mom had made Which, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff we could discuss there. Like, they were connected when they met without him even knowing. And then she, as you said, is the one to approach him in the lunchroom when Hillary tells her, like, please don't sing happy birthday to me. Stargirl then, like, sings happy birthday with Hillary's name but goes to Leo and looks at him while she's doing it to sort of, like, get around Hillary's command. So it's interesting. Like, they're linked in this way before she starts school, She's then the one to approach him. But because we're hearing this whole story from Leo's perspective, like, we don't know why. And that is frustrating.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the porcupine neckties are kind of the one quirk that Leo has. Mm. I mean, he's kind of a boring guy, to be honest. Like, there's really nothing there. And I think that the necktie is the one kind of interesting thing, which we don't I mean the book doesn't expand on it all we really know is that he's collecting these and then it plays I mean we were introduced to the to the necktie in the beginning and then we don't hear about it again until the end so it kind of drops off a little bit but it's interesting that the way they're initially connected is through this little odd hobby and collection that Leo has and you know she's supposed to be this quirky person
0: very generous, very giving, like finds ways to give back to people. And it's just, it's sort of a coincidence that of all the people she could have given back to, she gives to Leo as a stranger years before and then they end up connecting and dating once she goes to high school. Kind of weird stuff. There are some kind of like bigger, I want to say like existential debates that are pointed to in the relationship between Leo and Stargirl. And I wanted to mention a few of them. One of the conversations that I thought was most interesting and most important for kids to read is this concept of who we're talking about when we talk about everybody and nobody. Um, So Leo and Stargirl, right before they break up, are talking about how, from Leo's perspective, nobody is talking to Stargirl because she's so weird. Everybody thinks you're weird everybody thinks that you need to change and be more like them. And Stargirl's response is like, what do you mean nobody's talking to me? You're talking to me. My parents are talking to me. Cinnamon, her rat, is talking to me. I think that as a teenager, we do jump to these generalizations of like, everybody this, nobody that. And I thought that Jerry Spinelli did such a great job in this exchange of illustrating to kids that like your definition or the way that you conceive of everybody is wrong. And Stargirl has such a firmer handle on like the kind of people that you really should be caring about. And the everybody who matters in your life is way different than like the everybody at your school or the everybody in the world. And Leo has a long way to go before he can actually wrap his head around that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I thought that was one of Stargirl's kind of shining moments when she was standing up to Leo and saying, what are you talking about? Of course, then she ends up changing momentarily because of his manipulation. But uh, I just thought that that was a moment of kind of putting him in his place. And she really stood up to him. And that was like, yeah, like you go. I mean, I thought that was a great moment. But this idea, I think it I think we get in these bubbles in society. And I felt like this in college, too, and not just in high school. But when we're in these social situations where you're around the same people and you're in a construct like any group and I think it's really easy to to kind of see everybody as I mean that's kind of the point of the book too is that people are individuals and there is no quote everybody or at least it's what through Stargirls character I think Jerry Spinelli is trying uh, to comment on. But I think that it's really easy in society to get in these situations when you have when you're in a construct to think about the way other People are thinking. And I think, like, the Greek life system can be like that. And I think there are these other systems in our society that often don't allow for individual thought, or not don't allow, but reject individual thought in a way. And so I think that through Stargirl, Jerry did a good job of saying that's not true. But then I just don't understand why she changed. I mean, that to me was like, I don't know, that whole section of the book was really disappointing
0: to me. Do you think she almost, from a narrative perspective, had to change so that she could make this very important realization that it doesn't really matter what you look like or what you do. Sometimes people are just... Assholes, and they're going to make assumptions about you? Like, do you think that he could have illustrated that in another way? And, and I'm not sure because I agree with you. I think that whole section of the book was really hard to read. I think especially the whole scene where she goes to the state competition with her speech and she's presenting herself as Susan and not as Stargirl and, and she thinks that doing that and then also winning the competition are going to be the things that broaden everybody's horizons and make them realize that they should have accepted her all along. Like, reading those scenes and sort of feeling her desperation to be accepted by them was very difficult. But I do wonder if they were necessary in order for her to then get to the end of the book, where she's sort of like, zero fucks given, I'm going to be myself, I'm going to show up at this dance. In the sidecar that I want to show up in, I'm going to wear what I want, and I'm going to get the band to play the bunny hop. And if the rest of the kids want to dance with me, great. If they don't, like I'm still going to bunny hop all night long. Like I, I don't know if that arc could have been achieved differently, and I don't know if I didn't like that just because it made me uncomfortable to read, because it definitely did, or because I felt like it was not a great use of sort of like. I don't know. I I don't know if I didn't like it because it made me uncomfortable or just because I felt like it was a bad plot point.
1: I don't know if the section made me uncomfortable. I think what made me uncomfortable was like Leo's gross descriptions of her. But I think that whole section was just, I don't know, it was just disappointing. And it was sad. It was sad too, because, you know, she goes to this competition and Uh, instead of really loving and just throwing herself into this speech and her work, she's really doing it so that she can go back to the school and everyone will be cheering for her. And that desire to be cool and accepted is it overshadows what she really loves to do and why she's at this competition. And I don't know, I just found it to be really sad in a way. And I do think in a way it was to what you're saying as a narrative technique. I do think it added again to this idea that a woman can do no right. And because we see her change and nothing's good enough for anyone, so you might as well just be yourself. Um, So I do think it kind of added to that
0: idea. Well, and it gave her an opportunity, I think, to experience that firsthand. Like, she wouldn't have known otherwise. She wouldn't have learned this very important, difficult lesson that you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, if she hadn't made the very big mistake of listening to Leo and trying to conform. Like, otherwise, she would have just had to trust what everybody else said. She almost had to experience that herself. And I think a lot of kids, like, have to experience things themselves in order to believe them as well.
1: But I don't ever think she did not believe it. I think she was fine. Like you said, she, you know, when Leo says, no one likes you and no one's talking to you. She's like, what are you talking about? I mean, I don't think she, I don't think she, again, we're not super privy to her thoughts, but it didn't seem like she wanted to even conform. And like, that was never a priority or a desire for her. You know, it wasn't like, I want to try this out and just see what happens because I feel like no one's talking to me and I'm trying to, you know, I don't know what what to do to be accepted. She seemed fine. And then it was, um, you know, and very happy and content with herself and the life that she lived. And then Leo, you know, forced these ideas on her.
0: I just don't know why she had to go through that change. And to see that. I don't think she ever wanted to conform. I, I think it was more my sense of her was like, it almost was never about conformity. It was about, like, she wanted people to embrace her. And I think there's a difference. Like, I think we see, like, a glimmer of that early on when she goes to the first speech competition and they show the video of um, like a previous state's winner and he's coming back from winning and like there's this hero's welcome for him at school. And even early in the book, like that's very appealing to her. So I think maybe in these conversations with Leo, she's almost like conflating being embraced in a genuine way by people with being accepted in sort of like a conformity sort of construct. Like she's confusing the two things. And to Leo, what's more important is conforming and being like everybody else. And when she hears him talk about things like that, what she what she wants of that is just to be loved and to be seen and to be understood. And so I think you're right in that she doesn't care to be like everybody else. But I do think she cares to be appreciated and embraced. And that's not something that she's getting certainly in the middle of the book when she's being shunned or really at the beginning of the book when they're only like adopting her because they find her to be like entertaining. So I think I think you're right. I don't know that she ever cared about being like everybody else, but I do think she almost had to go through this journey to figure out that like sometimes, and as terrible as this is, sometimes like people are judgmental and you're not going to get you're not going to be seen for who you are, no matter what you do. And luckily, she's then in a position to get to move away after, and she gets to start over. But it's a tough lesson to learn. I I just think again, it's like. These confusing things about like popularity, coolness, being well liked and similarly like being accepted, being appreciated, being seen, like those things can exist maybe differently. I don't know if that makes sense. That's sort of how I read her.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, that she does wanna be loved and accepted, but again, who doesn't? I think that's just part of human nature. Um and I think that those are I think that everyone needs to feel loved. And I just think that, like, Leo's idea of what being accepted and loved is different from what hers is. And I think that Leo's is very toxic in a way. Yeah, I agree. It's based off popularity and what other people think. And hers is based off of these, like, very real, what she considers real relationships and, you know, the quality versus this idea of, quote, everybody accepting you which doesn't exist
0: yeah they're so. very different value systems is how I would kind of break it down
1: yeah they were very different people I mean I again am a little baffled by the relationship yeah and why she was attracted to him I mean I think again I think to your point it's easy to see her from his perspective why he was into her because she's kind of this spectacle and this mm-hmm. like entertainment like crop, basically, and she's new and different and whatever. I just don't know what he brings. He just seems to bring her down, and I don't know. And, and, you know, it he's also very contradictory in a way, you know, in that scene where they go to the competition and she gives this speech. He's standing up and clapping, but it's also only when other people are reacting. Mm. To- so, again, he comes off as being super supportive and, like, her cheerleader and uh, you know, he goes with her and he seems very supportive, but then it's like his support is driven by how other people react to her, mm. which I just is obviously horrible.
0: Yeah, it's so, gross. That's yeah, gross.
1: So gross. Like he was just a gross guy to me. I just didn't like him at all. And I think it's really hard when you're not rooting for like, whoever is narrating the book. Who is considered, I guess, I don't know if he's considered the protagonist in this or if she is.
0: Yeah, that's a tough call. I don't know.
1: So, I mean, you're really rooting for her. And he was just, I don't know, I did not like him at all.
0: (laughs) I wonder if Jerry Spinelli liked him. I wonder if he felt any kinship toward him or if he was trying to sort of write him as this very confusing, polarizing, icky teenage boy character. I wonder what he thought about him.
1: I know. I mean, oftentimes people think that writing in the first person is like an extension of of yourself, um, which I don't know if you can make that generalization. But it is interesting. I mean, he's a man. He chose to tell this from a male perspective um, about largely about this girl. But I mean, it's also about like I said, too, it's about like first love. And there's this kind of like very dreamy aspect to the whole book. You know, they're out in the desert and there's kind of like fantastical way in which, you know, when they first get together, he describes himself as floating Mm. and there's this like very romanticized idea of what love should be and what love is. And like you were saying before, I do think that. You know, when you kind of get in this honeymoon phase of a relationship, it's you don't really care about anyone else and you do feel like you're floating. Like, that's it's just like you and that other person in the whole world. But I think that, I mean, I think he does a good job of almost bringing you back to earth in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And like, at, because the characters, you know, start off in this like floating way and then they really get grounded in like their differences and the problems that they're bumping bumping up against, which is me basically leo's issues but i think that the way in which jerry illustrates this idea of love is very interesting too Mm And I don't know if it's realistic or idealistic. I can't decide.
0: I think it goes back and forth. I think at first it's very idealistic. And then as we were talking about, like, it's sort of unclear what is actually connecting the two of them. And then that's where you get your realism, where it's like in those early days of a relationship, it's super fun to have that idealism. But ultimately, like, you're going to smack against the fact that you're not compatible. And so you kind of get a mix, which I think is confusing for kids, but as an adult, you can definitely understand the progression of the relationship because you've probably experienced it to some extent.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think too, in a new relationship, there's compromise and there are issues. I mean, no one's going to be quote, perfectly compatible or whatnot. But I think that also the issue with this book is that, uh, Leo doesn't, budge at all and she does this whole transformation because of what he says and he isn't I don't know I mean there's a little glimpse of when they're in the mall together and she's has this game where they follow people around to try to kind of figure out you know make up these little fantasy stories about who these people are and kind of like try to get in their lives a little bit and he ends up really liking the game and and so he's kind of opening up his world a little bit but then he doesn't he's not introspective at all and I think she comes off very introspective and he doesn't look inside himself and think you know what maybe I should change this about myself or I should reevaluate this or this is hurting people or whatever it is so I don't know the lack of compromise in that relationship on his
0: part also bothered me I think there's a huge maturity gap also like he's an immature boy and she is a little bit more a lot more evolved as as a human, as a woman. And so I think ultimately, like, in the end, Stargirl's going to realize, obviously, that she's way too mature and way too cool for him. And uh, sadly, he's going to be the one left behind. And clearly, 15 years later, he's still thinking about her, which, as I said, was sort of hard for me to buy. But I do think is um, sort of a nod to maybe what Jerry Spinelli thought that Stargirl should have taught him. And uh, maybe... A nod to Jerry's, like whose side he's on, which is clearly Star Girl's. If you, if you were to read the epilogue that way, so would you be excited to give this book to a kid or a teen?
1: I don't know. I think I would have some reservations about it. Okay. I don't think I would recommend this to a teenager today. I think it's too cliche. I think it's too um, confined to these stereotypes that we've been living with for so long. And I guess it depends on the age of whoever is reading it, but I'm not sure that they would necessarily see the things that we're talking about. It almost seems like, again, from like a surface standpoint, reading this, that a lot of it is based off popularity and reading this almost gives you like more of a desire to be accepted than to just accept yourself for who you are. Hmm. And just the fact that nothing like works out for Stargirl. And she almost has kind of a sad ending too. Like she, I don't know if she has to leave, but she just disappears. And it's like she was there, but she was never there. And I'm not sure it's like the empowering female story that I would want to give young readers.
0: I think that's fair. I, I can't ask you the question that I usually ask guests or that I often ask guests about whether this experience has ruined the book or made you love it all the more because it was your first time reading it but I'll answer the question. Um, I will say that the reading experience itself was preserved. I still love the book as a work. I love the writing. I think it's beautiful. I think it's some of the best YA writing that I've read um, and I really enjoyed it and I appreciate Jerry Spinelli's talent. I think Leo was in some ways ruined for me um, because I think when you read him as a teenage girl there is something kind of dreamy about The idea of him accepting you for yourself. And I think, like you said, I think when you're younger, it's hard to understand that shift in his personality. And it's hard to realize that that's that's not just him being like a stupid boy. That's him being manipulative and him not being able to stand up for somebody he cares about and him just like doing the wrong thing um so I would say Leah was ruined for me but probably in a healthy way like it's it's good to see those parts of a character's personality revealed I think Stargirl has only gotten better for me with time as a character I love her I'm excited to see this movie that's coming out the movie is going to be one of the first movies or shows on Disney's new streaming platform so I don't know the release date yet but it will be out probably next year I would think and interestingly the girl they've casted to play Stargirl is Grace Vanderwall, who was on America's Got Talent. And I only know this because there was like a video of her playing the ukulele everywhere. And so they picked her knowing she can play the ukulele. I'm going to include a link to that video in the show notes so you can check her out. But I can totally see her as Stargirl and I'm excited to see how they turn this into a movie. But I think I feel like I have like a healthier grasp on it after this reading. That being said, I'll definitely recommend it just because I think it's it's a good book in itself, but there's obviously room for conversation about it, knowing what we know now. So thank you so much for all of your thoughts about it. This was such an interesting conversation, and I'm psyched to share it with our listeners. Thank you. Are there any books you've read recently or books that you're reading now that you would recommend to the SSR community? I'm reading a couple books for work, which are older books,
1: but I actually just got around to reading Zadie Smith's uh, Swing Time, uh, which I thought was wonderful. Again, it's told in the first person perspective, uh, which I've heard, I didn't know this, but it's kind of like a faux pas in adult fiction, Um, but I think, or not a faux pas, but it's more associated with young adult than, again, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that or know whether that's valid I recommend that book it was wonderful I mean I'm going back and again reading old greats like Joan Didion and Tom Wolfe but that's mostly for work <laughs> um those are, good those, ones. Also, those are also
0: wonderful so well I will include a link to swing time in the show notes as well as a link to star girl for those who want to pick up a copy and revisit it or read it for the first time as Britta did thank you so much for your time thank you for reading the book and it was great talking to you about this Britta thank you Allie bye